This inaugural episode of Small Ball Diggsy with Matt Diggs is brought to you by Granny's Bakery. You can find them online at grannysweeties.com. You can also find them on Facebook at Granny's Bakery. They're located in Salina at 401 West Pecan Street. Give them a call, 469-352-8806. And, you know, we've been talking about Granny's uh, Bakery all year. Uh, as they've been a sponsor now. This will be their third show, technically, as the original 7-4A kind of morphed into the North Texas and now morphed into Matt and I just picking every game across the state in 4A through 2A in the state semifinals. And we love Granny's Bakeries. They have cakes. They have breads. They have a great coffee bar. They have a beer and wine section. They have a cupcake factory. But the biggest thing that I think is cool about them is they do classes. And, and these are classes that are genuinely trying to teach people interested in, in and sprucing up their baking needs, sprucing up their designs, like during the holidays. You know, this is holiday season. We're in full, right in the smack dab in the middle of it. You've got Halloween, you've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and they teach you how to make your baking pop. And they do that by simply teaching you simple things. Like at Halloween, they had kids print their own Halloween cookies class where they taught kids how to, to, to spruce up their cookies, to make them look prettier, to make them look Halloween-y. Uh, and I, I think that's awesome because it's not just being able to do all that. It's being willing to share it for people uh, and then technically in a way hurt your business. Not really, but you know what I mean, because you're teaching them some of the things that you do that brings them to you in the first place. You can also book a private class at 469-352-8806. And we appreciate Granny's Bakery for being a sponsor on L4 Media and S2S Sports for the season. And speaking of a, a sponsor that we've had for a while, we want to thank Power Plus Mouthguard. This is the fifth year I've been talking about Power Plus Mouthguard, and it's because I believe in what they are. We're in an era now where people are trying to make sports as safe as possible because we want the sport uh, to survive. We want the future of the sport to thrive. So why not use the future of Mouthguards? And that's what Power Plus Mouthguard is. And I'm not just saying that as a tagline. I'm saying it because it's true. Go look online at powerplusmouthguard.com. Look at the data. Look at the research. Look at the testimonials. The great thing is, is all that's up on the website. And he didn't cherry pick data. He's using third-party uh, scientists to do the research, do the math, do it all. And that's what they came out with. And this is what it was. A, it helps you eliminate concussions. We'll never be able to do it 100%, but under 0.1% is pretty darn good, and that's where Power Plus Mouth Guard is. And also, it helps you perform better simply by aligning your jaw properly, which allows you to get all the oxygen intake in you need, keeps your brain fresh, you avoid that fog of football, your muscles get all the oxygen they need, they're performing at a peak level. So you're not only keeping your kid or you, if you're a weekend warrior, safe, you're also helping them to perform better, and that's all with one product, PowerPlusMouthGuard.com. It's the semifinal week, and normally I'd be saying it's time for the Granny Bakery and Power Plus Mouth Guard North Texas show, but we're rebranding it, and I think this might be the future of this show. It's the inaugural Small Ball Diggsy with Matt Diggs. Is him and I, me and him, however you want to say it, we're going to be talking small ball tonight and forever for a 3A and 2A style. So before we do all that, Mr. Diggs, how are you doing? 
We're going to give it the sideline to sideline treatment with a little bit of a DFW flair and no coach X. I think that's your marketing, you know, small ball digsy, no coach X right under it. Think it'll be great. I'm doing well, Terry. How are you doing? Great. I will say this though. Uh, it's coach X is not the only fall anymore. We now have playoff tree, which is pull back the curtain. Grant talking to a modulation after he's had a couple whiskeys while we're recording the show. So you might have a new, uh, you might have a new enemy going forward. But other than that, I'm doing great. This is my favorite time of the year, even though it's always tinged with sadness because you and I, we go a hundred miles an hour doing this stuff. And then after next Saturday, not the Saturday coming up, but the next one after that, it's, it's just over. It just, yeah. and it's a cliff. Like there's no, there, there's no slowdown. You're going 90 to nothing and then boom, it's at zero. And I love it. Like, you know, I get to rest. I get to have a couple weeks where I just don't do anything. That's kind of my vacation time. But it's also, it's, it's also just kind of so sudden I, I end up, like looking at the clock a bunch, even now this week, cause I just don't have as many coaches shows and stuff anymore. I'm looking at my clock at 3 PM going, man, can, can I just go to bed now? I have nothing else to do. Yeah. I mean, we, we will probably put in conservatively 50 hours from Wednesday for, for Toller all the way through Saturday night. And that's not even including the prep work. So I, I completely understand that cliff work, but we love it. So it's, it's one of those things and it, it is a loss. And, and fortunately, I don't know if it's fortunately or not, but I have that same kind of feeling when Plano East loses. So I have that personal <laughs> connection. It's like, you know, because the whole family and I, when we go to Plano East games, we go to dinner, you know, we make it a whole thing and then we go to the game together. And then I come home and do the dump afterward and, and, and research all that. So it's definitely pulling back the curtain, a, a, a loss there. And then I have this three or four weeks where I kind of become more media digsy heading out there. And then this is done. And, you know, but this year though, Terry, we do have realignment just right yep. down the corner. And I think that gives a little bit of a buffer. I think realignment years are easier transition than non-realignment years. Yeah. And it's fun because, I, you know, and I've said this before, and I've told you this. I, I don't care about the projections. I don't care about putting the districts together because even Padilla and Matt Stepp and those, I think, kind of get tied in a little bit with UIL. I think the UIL kind of floats them some stuff. I, I still don't care. I, I, but I do care the day of realignment. I do care yeah. to see where all the teams are in their new districts or their same districts, their new classes. And it gives you, con for, for me as a content creator doing this, I mean, I've got two or three months. I can just literally be interviewing coaches. You know, what are your thoughts about your district and, and all that stuff? And, and it feels like it, it bridges. You're right. It bridges the offseason to where February to July get, get kind of quick. Because in, in the non-realignment, I don't know. I don't know why. I've just never been big into talking high school football in the spring, uh, especially at small ball because they don't have a true spring football anymore. So they right. they can only talk about, oh, well, we've been doing, you know, we've been looking great and shell seven on seven, but they can't tell me anything else. Yeah, but when, when you look at the small schools, there's enough big schools to where you can kind of mess around with that. But small schools, you kind of get that anticipation and, mm -hmm. and really more than ever, you get the transfer portal and you're seeing a <laughs> yeah. lot of kids from bigger schools, you know, especially in these metropolitan areas, you know, that's what you see with Anna and, and things like that. So keeping up with that and, and finding out what are going to be the next big things are fun. And even the new schools, I mean, you know, 
we weren't talking about Frisco Panther Creek a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden they they looked like this year they belong uh, as one of the final four, final eight. Uh, and, and again, I just think of uh, Panther Creek and how Anna now in the state semifinals had to hit a hail mary effectively uh, to to win that game, and you know. It's fun. You know, small schools are fun because there's wide variability. And then we also get to play the what ifs, you know, yeah. because a lot of schools are slotted into their uh, realignments. Like Gunter is most likely going to be a, you know, 3A Division II in, in this next realignment. But Brock is 4A Division II, gives us whole new storylines to talk about, whole new regional rivalries, whole new regional outlooks. When you take a powerhouse like that and put them in probably a Region 1 and 4A Division II, that's been kind of weak as it is, it gives us a whole new kind of, okay, well, how does the bracketology work? So there, there are a lot of new storylines that are developed with it as content creators that we get to kind of go through. So that's a little bit more fun for small school, but you know, there's only so much you can talk about with that. So uh, I, I see your point with that. And uh, but I still love, I still love the anticipation and figuring it out. So I think the UIL kind of does not a great job of some of the regionalization and, and I, I like trying to figure out what was in their head. Like, why did you do this? Why'd you do that? Some of it, it is what it is. Like El Paso, it is what it is. But in some of the metropolitan areas, like why has Arlington and Grand Prairie not been together for the last 24 years? You know, trying to figure out uh, some of the mechanisms there. And if you can get inside their head, I think you can do some better realignment projections. But some people don't, like you said, you don't care about realignment projections. You're just here about the day and it is what it is. And at the end of the day, projections is, is, is very much like rankings. It's just something you do to pat yourself on the back and go, oh, I did pretty good at that. But at the end of the day, the game is the game. Well, you brought up Anna, so we're going to jump right into Anna as they take on Decatur 10-4, and four, Anna 13-1 and one, Friday, 7 p.m. at Denton's Collins Stadium. Uh, and you talk about a couple weeks ago, Anna needing a Hail Mary uh, Decatur didn't need a Hail Mary, but Brownwood went up in that game late, I think with like a minute 30 left. Decatur w- responded by going down the field, and they score with four seconds left in what I am calling probably right now maybe the best playoff game of the season. Uh, that was back and forth. I call. I said all year that I call was great, but he couldn't carry them all the way to the state semis. He almost proved me wrong. But at the end of the day, that Decatur team won, and they're taking on an Anna team that it looked like early, Matt, that we were going to see the same type of game in the Stephenville. It looked like it was going to be back and forth. It was for a minute, but then DeAndre Williams and Jacob Emmer started separating. And more importantly, that Anna defense came up big from the second quarter on. The Coyotes get the win. What is your thoughts on this matchup? You know, I I keep saying this, and, and I want to thank you. I, I thanked you on Twitter, but I'm going to thank you on the show as well. You changed my mind in mid-sentence. Like, it, this hardly <laughs> ever happens to me because I got my opinions. You've got your opinions. But the way you worded your Anna Stephenville analysis last week stopped me in my tracks. And I, Like, I had a podcast where I already picked Stephenville to win the game, and I just had to sound like an idiot because at the end of the day, you convinced me uh, about uh, Anna over Stephenville. They, they won convincingly, so thank you for that. Uh, and, and you might have to do that 
again because I'm, I'm going into this week thinking of Decatur because I think Decatur's got the best player on the field in Nate Palmer. I know Jacob Emmers is a game like changer, that. but he's not going to touch his he's not going to touch the ball every single play like yeah. Nate Palmer is going to do. Uh, and I think when you have the, him and he can pound out that six to ten yards a play, and you know you can use him out of the backfield, you can use him in different formations. That's just what I feel like Anna can't get over uh, with their defensive inadequacies. Palmer or Panther Creek didn't really have that. I mean, they they had a well balanced team, but they didn't have that one player they could just point to and say, okay, you know, at the end of the game, who's going to be our player? Anna had that in Jacob Embers, and that's what kind of led them uh, there at the end of the day. But I think Decatur has gotten much better from week one uh, until now to where I think it's going to be a big offensive shootout. But I've got them by the touchdown that Anna beat them earlier in the season. I think it's going to be that type of game again. I do want to remind you two things. That was DeAndre Williams' very first start as a Anna starting quarterback. And while he threw for, I think, 250 yards, he had three touchdowns. He also had a couple big interceptions, and he had a fumble. Um, I, I think he has become more efficient. Uh, also, Jacob Embers didn't play that game. Uh, they had to rely on Steams, uh, Scott, Sean Steams, uh, and he had uh, over 100 yards, and I remember he had a couple big touchdowns. Um, I agree with you. I don't know how Anna stop, stops Nate Palmer. I know they did well against China Springs uh, offense a few weeks ago, holding them to 21. They held Stephenville last week to 21, but Tate Marzukas was had been injured. Uh, he, he had been... You know, he had been off since the Brownwood game. In fact, we were told before the Brownwood game, and we promised not to say anything on the air, uh, that he was out for the year, that they were moving him to slot. And that's what he played for a lot of that Brownwood game. And then in the fourth quarter, they really needed him after two quarterbacks went down. Um, they really needed him to, to take a couple carries, and he did. And, and then that's actually what won the game for them. And so he played a little bit more through the – season but he never was that workload that he had been all the way back from his sophomore year but in saying all that I, I just think Anna's rolling right now man I you see and I and I know people can say well the same about Decatur but I still think of the two Anna's a better defense than Decatur Decatur has not been good defensively against good offenses period you can at least say Anna has a couple of times played better against good to really good offenses. I think Anna wins, but it's going to be just like last game. Uh, I think, in fact, I think maybe you have to get to 42 to 45 to win. Yeah. That, that whole back and forth. And, you know, at the end of the day, Decatur, they have really good coaching and I'm not saying that uh, they don't have coach Pars and a great, great coach over at Anna. He's developing a program and Decatur, even before uh, the new coach got over there from college station, Decatur has had that expectation for yes. eight to 10 years. And we're talking about culture and, and almost all these games we're looking at other than maybe Frisco Emerson uh, across the whole landscape. You're talking about known quantities that have been here and the teams that uh, there's a couple exceptions. And we'll talk about a couple of those like Davenport, uh, but it, it's just the known quantities. And last week we saw a lot of the new kids on the block get just absolutely obliterated by the teams that have been there. And Anna is kind of that new kid on the block when we're talking about uh, 4A Division One uh, with Davenport. And, and I think on one hand, it would be great if we had the new kids on the block game, a kind of an Anna Davenport state championship is it would give us something new. 
but the history just doesn't bear out that we're going to ever get these kind of games. It seems like the, the old guard continues to win week after week, but you did give me some food for thought while reminding me about how that first game went with Anna still winning despite Zeandre, uh, uh, Zion Williams' uh, first thing, first game and turnovers. So you've given me some food for thought. Terry, so thank you. I'm, I'm going to put that under advisement. You didn't give me a full-scale stop uh, in mind change, but that whole first quarterback thing kind of applies to Glenn Rose as well, as we'll talk about when we get yeah. there, because how that has progressed from week one until week 15. Yeah, and and we'll get to division two, but like Grant and I said on sideline to sideline, the whole division two group woke up Sunday morning going, wait a minute we now can actually win state. We don't just have a puncher's chance. We have a valid chance. And I think that I think each team that's left in the semifinals can make that case. All right, let's go to the four, a division one other game, Chapel Hill here for the third straight year, trying to finally beat the region four team. They're 12 and two San Antonio Davenport, or I just call them Davenport uh, 11 and three. Now Grant and I all the way back in the big Oz preview show talked about Davenport being a dark horse. In fact, I think we had it Davenport versus Bernie in the region final with Bernie winning. Of course, Laverne had tripped up Bernie. So the Wolves, they just kind of keep on keeping on. And here they are, uh, a team that's got depth. They've got consistency. They've got efficiency. Tristan Hamlin is becoming a huge star at quarterback for them. I think he has over 3,800 yards last week. He threw for 300 yards and five touchdowns. But in saying that, it sure does feel like Chapel Hill's figured some things out. Yeah, not only have they figured some things out, but uh, I, I want to give a little bit of an anecdote. As we said, you kind of mentioned the whole Davenport thing. I went on one of the East Texas podcasts, and uh, I went off on them for calling them San Antonio Davenport. And they're like, Diggs, you realize here in East Texas we don't call them Tyler Chapel Hill. We know you're from out of town when you're doing that kind of stuff, too. I'm like, oh, I guess that's a good point. So we do just have Chapel Hill versus Davenport at the end of the day in this game. Uh, and if you don't know where they are, look them up because uh, I I don't think they need cities that they, they don't reside in uh, to be part of that. But one thing that I am just reminded of, and it's kind of the element I talked about with the Anna being kind of the new kids on the block and, and not being here. Chapel Hill has been at this point for three years now and just waiting to crest. I mean, I yeah. think this is quite their year. They've, they've been there uh, and fallen just short a couple of times, and now they're looking to go over. Whereas what I'm seeing across the state, when you have a team like Davenport, uh, I think they're kind of happy to be here. I, I don't know what, and, and, and maybe their coaching staff would have a completely different take on this, but Chapel Hill feels like they have that energy and that experience and they're on a mission. And I don't know if Davenport, even if they have a little bit of a better talent edge, and I'm not even saying they are, but if they did have a bit of a talent edge, has enough to overcome that kind of killer instinct that Chapel Hill has right now. Yeah, and I was kind of watching some stuff on Davenport online and their coach and stuff, and and there was a little bit of the all shucks, were, you know, we're happy to be there. Now, that could also be a <laughs> wolf in sheep clothing uh, by, you know, playing that up, but it does feel like they've got the big eyes. But now, in saying that, we can also flip this around and say Chapel Hill has pressure of being here three years and not breaking through while many people have felt they might actually be the most talented team in class for a division one and Davenport has none of that baggage. They're just here to play football. Uh, and, and so I do feel 
that Chapel Hill has a tendency to turn the ball over. Uh, their passing game has completely went backwards from where it was two years ago when Brisbane at least was hitting receivers. In, like I remember that LBJ game, 38-35, and him having a couple big throws in the game that, that kept them in that game. And, and last week they threw the ball all of six times for seven yards, and one of those was intercepted. And, and that's been their big issue is their turnovers. And so I do see a world where Chapel Hill comes out a little pressured, a little stressed, Davenport maybe changes some things up take some shots early chapel hill fumbles it a couple times and before you know it the wolves are up 21 points i don't think that happens but i could see that happening you know clean football i think is going to be a theme we're really going to start talking about when we get down to 3a but even chapel hill only scoring 21 points they put up 450 yards running the ball almost average three different guys averaging seven plus yards a a carry so you know it's not like even Davenport can just focus on one player okay if we stop Brisbane we stop Stewart we're good here you got to stop all three of them but I do think they're going to need to hit something in the passing game to to keep Davenport a little bit honest because once that box starts creeping up a little bit you know those seven and eight yard runs that that's nice when you get them in big chunks but all it takes is fourth and one can you convert those consistently when you know what's happening uh, and, and you basically are going to sell out to stop it but again it's too much talent for Chapel Hill too much experience for Chapel yeah. Hill I got to stick with them all right so I have it, Anna Chapel Hill in the state championship game. You have Decatur Chapel Hill. Either way, that's any of these matchups I think will be great. But I, I do want to see Chapel Hill advance. And, and also partly, yeah, I'm from East Texas, but I also I tend to love the teams like Chapel Hill and Timpson that they do it really young and then they can't quite get over the hump. And then that senior year, you've now have that ticking clock of, can you do that? This is it. And I just like to see that happen. And when it does actually happen and they do finally win that state, it's like one guy told me once, and he was on a program that, you know, was in the state semifinal and higher three straight years. They finally broke through that senior year and they won state. And he told me that he, in a way, that felt almost more special just winning that one instead of winning all three because then by the third one, you're like, okay, yeah, we've done this before. And I, I can see the point in that. All right, let's go to Class 4A Division Two, And as we said, uh, the earthquakes happened last week. The world shifted. We woke up with Carthage out of the playoffs thanks to Gilmer's big, stunning 47-44 to 44 win in overtime, even though, boy, Gilmer tried their best with some interesting decisions late to give that game to Carthage, but give that defense credit. I know they gave up a ton of points, but they got a couple big turnovers late in the game. They win. Before we go on to the Glen Rose in this game, just your thoughts on the Carthage-Gilmer game. First off, when you beat Carthage, it's an always an epic win. Nobody ever just goes out and beats Carthage. It always is some kind of holy crap, what a moment game. And I, I thought it was just awesome that it happened the way it did. You know, I, when I was just following that game, I was getting kind of game six of the of the Rangers, you know, Cardinals vibes back in 2011 because, <laughs> you know, you had that epic meltdown. And then, you know, a lot of people forget the Rangers got the lead again. Yep. And then there was a second epic meltdown. And as I was feeling this, I was like, oh, Gilmer's just going to find a way to, to lose this. And then they had the little epic meltdown and get into overtime. But then they made the big play to get over the, get over the hump and, and win the game. I'm happy. You know, I, 
I, I, I'm not happy for uh, Carthage and, and losing and their players and their coaching staff. I'm not like, oh, you, you know, I'm not laughing at them. I'm happy for the state that we get some new blood. And, you know, it was an epic game and Gilmer won. It wasn't a fluke. It was, you know, a hard working, hard charging kind of a game. And the best bet of I can give that I understand this all, I feel like now we have like an eight seed and a seven seed in the state semifinals. Like if you're using March Madness as a metaphor, and one of those teams is going to make the state championship. And they, these might've been teams that, uh, you know, they earn their way in, but at the same time, that half of the bracket is definitely not what we were expecting. First off, I also want to remind you that and and I can talk this now because of what happened this year, um, but also game seven, Texas actually jumped out to a two nothing lead against St. Louis and then promptly gave that lead right up in the bottom of the first. But anyway, you're exactly right. And I can't remember a time in four a, except for maybe when Carthage was in three a or in region three, but even then there wasn't any really region four teams. It's odd to say the region three versus region four state semifinal feels like the real state championship now. It absolutely does. And I'm excited. You know, I'm learning more about Belleville as a, uh, as, as a DFW guy looking down there and, and I'm becoming very impressed at how, how they're executing right now. That is an absolute machine. And it's the kind of machine that if you're going to be a new kid on the block, that's the kind of machine you need to, to because that travels very well. And even though they got a, a little bit of a slow start in that first half uh, last week, they, they turned it on in the, in the second half and went on in business. Now you got Belleville against one of those teams, Wimberley, one of the blue bloods that is always there. Can they finally beat a blue blood? And that's going to be, again, I'm looking for style points and I, I will kind of base my uh, championship pick, uh, which I think either of these two teams will be a favorite, but if Belleville, if this is a back and forth kind of a game, 21, 20 kind of a thing. And one of the, if Gilmer or Glen Rose blows them out, I might stay, I might stay up North in my pick, but if Belleville takes care of business or if Wimberley takes care of business, that's probably, probably my de facto state championship. And I actually Grant and I had a real big disagreement on this one. I think uh I, I in fact I can't remember if I completely pulled the trigger and said it because I'm like you I do so many of these I on these 50-50 games sometimes I change I change my pick and it's not even intentionally it's just in the moment when we're talking about it that's how I feel. I might feel different the next day but in the moment that's how I feel and he feels that Gilmer's going to kind of run over Glen Rose. I don't think they are um, because Glenn, at the end of the day, Gilmer's defense is still an issue. Uh, I mean, yeah, they beat Carthage. That's great. They also, you know, Carthage turned the ball over three times and still scored 44 points in, a, in regulation because they didn't score in overtime. And, and I go back and I look at the other games that Gilmer's played. Yeah, they played well defensively against Kilgore, but Kilgore and Glenn Rose don't do the same thing at all. The Tigers are going to throw the ball. Canyon Evans, man, he has been on a tear all year long, thrown for over 3,800 yards. Last week he had over 350 yards and three touchdowns and really kind of decimated a West Plains team that we both thought were, you know, was a better team overall. So I kind of think Glenn Rose might pull the upset off on Gilmer. And I don't even know how much of an upset it is. And I also think you've got the letdown factor. Gilmer state championship was last week. Let's not make any, you know, any shades about that and pretend it wasn't in their minds. They won state last week. Now can they get back up and do it all again? This has so many interesting psychological storylines to it because you had Glenn Rose, who was very senior heavy last year. Yep 
get to that state semifinal game, should have beat Carthage and was unable to do it. And then we just kind of expected, well, Glen Rose hit their peak. They're done. Uh, they, you know, they're, we're not going to see them at this point again. Yet right now they probably – going into the game have a better chance of making the state championship this year yep. than they did last year. I, I mean, if we're rewinding what we were saying about this game last year, we're probably talking about Carthage is going to take care of business. You know, Carthage is going to roll, but Glenn Rose was in the game and, and was right there. So all of these kids who were there were part of that last year. And I think they, they've now been kind of taking that chip on their shoulder. They're like, okay, we're not expected to be here, but we know what we have here at Glenn Rose. We're going to the next step. Whereas on the other hand, you have Gilmer, who, like you said, they won their state championship last week against Carthage. Whenever you can beat Carthage, it's like, you know, DeSoto beating Duncanville. It's like the big deal. That's that's the big thing. But then what DeSoto was able to do was follow it up and follow it up. But then they like using DFW as a metaphor. You had Byron Nelson, the new kid on the block. They beat South Lake Carroll. That was their big Super Bowl, and they just fell off the, the wagon right after that. So what are we going to get out of Gilmer is kind of what I want to see. But historically, Gilmer is a blue blood name. They are a oh, team. Yeah. They are a program. They are a culture that has been here and been here. And This is not the best Gilmer squad of you know even the last 10 to 15 years. It might be one of their least effective squads in the last uh, decade, but here they are, and they got that big win. So I don't think they're going to have that letdown because – of that culture and, and the way that that program has set up. That being said, Canyon Evans, like you said, has completely gotten better. Like we talked about Zion Williams from week one to week four, not that he was doing bad in week one, but now he's got the confidence. He is the sling it around. But I think because Glenn Rose doesn't have much of a running game, yep. if one or two things go bad against them, what are they going to fall on? He threw two interceptions in that game against West Plains. I, I know it ended up evening out as West Plains had a couple of interceptions as well, but it was not a clean game by any means. And I think you're going to have issues you know, what are you going to do on fourth and one, fourth and two? Glenn Rose can't pound the ball, and they lost some really good offensive linemen last year. Uh, and they've kind of made up for that by the way they've been able to sling the ball around, kind of that fast and wide setup. But I think Gilmer's seen that. Gilmer has seen that in, in out there in East Texas, and I think they'll be ready for it. Uh, I, I'm not saying Gilmer big, but I do think Gilmer should be considered the favorite. So do you have Gilmer versus Belleville? I do. And I ha I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and go Gilmer versus Belleville too. And I think I kinda did this uh last night too. I kinda backed off, but I just that that Gilmer Glenn Rose, that's first off, that's a game to watch. Second off, since both teams are pretty much secured in four A division two and both of them are next year going to return like 19 returning starters. Don't be surprised if we're seeing Glenn, uh, Gilmer versus Glenn Rose part two. And I know, well, what about Carthage? Eh, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Uh, once okay. Carth Carthage lost, now they've got to prove it again. Not that they have too far to prove. But anyway, let's go down to class 3A. Uh, Division one, it, it, you know, it's funny how great this we talked about region three all year long and it, it the playoffs. It turned out to be exactly that we talked about. Ah, oh, Brock has a new, you know, Brock has new competitive competition out there. Whitesboro's fading down, but you're going to have paradise. Bushland's going to be back. You know, they're in trouble. Uh, Malakoff's great in East Texas, but watch out for Winsboro, man. They're they're loaded for Bear. And in Region 4, well, not Region 4, everybody figures it's probably going to be Edna again. But it's crazy how, how great this division was and how competitive it was. We have the exact same semifinal matchups as we did last year, and that's not a bad thing. 
Nope. And, and, and all four teams have earned their way. And I, I want to get your opinion on something because you're talking about it with Tate Maruska when I talked to Stephenville. And I wanted to stop you and get your feedback on it then. But I was like, oh, we'll talk about it when we get to Brock because I'm sure you'll briefly mention it. And that's the idea of Austin Iglesias last week uh, had a high ankle sprain, was in a boot, ended up playing. You talked about Tate Maruska, how he kind of gutted through it. Uh, Aiden Winters had a, an Achilles injury and almost everybody had ruled both of those kids out and they ended up playing. What do you think about these smaller schools playing known injured kids in these kind of games where they wouldn't be in, in more urban areas, the athletic trainer would have shut that down and it wouldn't even be a consideration. You know, <laughs> it's funny. You asked me that. And I know you know a little bit about me, but you know, you know, you don't know a ton, but the, the football guy in me is like, yeah, dude, if that dude wants to tough it out, you know, yes, yes, go for it. Do it. You never know when you'll get another chance to do this. You're not promised college, blah, blah. And then the 48-year-old me who has a bad knee that, uh, I, you know, some days I just can't walk. I've had multiple operations on it. And then the 48-year-old me with the bad shoulders that I've got to the point now where when I sleep, I'm going to wake up five or six times a night because – I my when I sleep on one side long enough, I it literally is frozen, and so I have to roll over, and so that shoulder becomes frozen. And then by four in the morning, I, I can't I mean, like from four in the morning till seven in the morning, and I usually get up during football season at five. I, my shoulders, I can't raise above my shoulder level. It I have to just continually while I'm recording stretch my shoulders out, and finally after three or four hours, they'll kind of relax, and they'll you know I can kind of move them again. So that part of me says, yeah, there needs to there needs to be somebody that steps in. But again, you're, you're never gonna tell you're never gonna tell a 17 year old that, and you're never gonna tell a 17 year old's head coach that, and you're never gonna tell a 17 year old's parents that because they're all bought in on we're gonna win state, and I get it. Right. But yeah. yeah, and and I mean that was to me one of the guttiest. Uh, like I, I have, I've, I'm, I, I don't have an opinion on it. Like on one hand, I'm incredibly impressed by it, but the whole game I was just cringing. Like every yeah. time he had to run, I was just like, you know, and he could barely move after the end of the game. You know, uh, I went down on the sidelines, but at, at the time, you know, I guess the adrenaline, whatever it was, there was a, a pick, a pick fix in the game. It ended up being uh, called back by a turnover, but Austin is the one who had to go run them down, and he ran them down and, and kept them from uh, from getting that uh, last couple of yards but then they threw the flag and said it was defensive holding downfield and I'm just thinking that might that might be it for him like you know him having to run that 80 yards to go catch that player because he didn't know that the flag was down there it, it was painful to watch at times and you know he could barely move and I think that was a big factor in in Brock winning that game was that Austin Iglesias could not run the ball and that was still a 21-7 game and we got everything paradise left it all on the field in that uh, game and I think that's relevant for this Brock Malakoff game because with a completely beat up paradise team who was probably down three, four starters because they, they play their both best players both ways was still only able to manage 21 points against uh, paradise. And now you've got Malakoff who has averaged 50 points a, a game, just completely obliterated Winsboro. Uh, unlike anything I expected. And now I, I, I'm thinking is Brock going to be able to outscore that team I think Malakoff in this game because I just don't think Brock is going to have the physicality and the offensive ability in these good games to get past that 21-point threshold. Now, I did pick Malakoff in last night's show, but I do want to 
I want to use something that you do against you just for the sake of this argument. You're real big on, and I'm not saying you're wrong on this, but you're real big on last year these two teams played in this round and Team A won by so many points and has Team B gotten better to make up those points. So last year, Brock beat Malakoff 21 to 10. But the thing is, is that was not a 21 to 10 game. That was 21 to three for 90% of the game. Malakoff had under 200 yards of offense. Malakoff got absolutely dominated physically to the point where just like paradise, that has kind of become Malakoff's rallying this year is we want to get back to that game and we want to prove how physical we are. So I'm asking you, 21-10, so you think Malakoff has made up. I'll go ahead and say 11 points, but I still think – I still contend that was legitimately a 21-3 game for most part. So you think Malakoff's made that up? I think they've made that up, and that was Brock's best game of the year. If you look back, historically, they've had those one or two turnovers or special teams play uh, plays that go against them every single week, even in paradise. They had an interception and an onside kick go against them in that game. They played a completely clean game against Malikov. You got Brock at their absolute best playing that 21 to 10 uh, atmosphere. They've not played at their absolute best at one point this year. Uh, you know, you can't look at any game and go, man, they played an absolutely clean, perfect game. We're going to expect that. DeSoto, some other teams in this, in this, uh, in the state championships, uh, contendership have played consistently good football. You can look at South Lake Carroll and go, okay, you can kind of know that you're going to get a good, you know, they had the, the, the uh, letdown against Byron Nelson where they had three turnovers in that game, but it's about every other game. They have played a clean game. You can't look at Brock at one point this year and gone, Oh, that they're going to give us a clean game against Malikov. So if Brock plays at their very best, I still think Malikov, you know, that's a 50, 50 game at that point. But the fact that Brock has not played at their best and I look at Malikov. Malikov is not making those mistakes. They're playing clean football this year. So I consider Brock as a team that's going to give you that one to two mistakes. That's your difference. That's what they didn't have. They didn't mess that up last year, but this year they haven't given me any pause to think that they're going to play a clean game. Well, I mean, again, I, I do want to make sure I picked Malikov last night, but I picked it as a very close game. But this is exactly, I mean, I can literally pull the tape from last year and we were, you were saying the same, and you weren't wrong, but you were saying the same thing about Brock. Ah, they just keep turning the ball over. They keep winning, but eventually that turning over is going to catch them. And technically it did in the Franklin game. I mean, but it was one bad fumble. It wasn't like they, had a, they were a turnover machine. But, I mean, we were having this exact same discussion when it, when it came to this game last year. I, I just think some teams are good enough to consistently have a turnover or two, and they're still going to 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 – to play well because here's the thing Brock is like plus 31 on turnovers even though they've consistently and I think they literally average when I looked at it and added, like it was almost one turnover a game they've still their defense suffocates their defense gets turnovers you're right Malakoff has had a great season defensively what they've done offensively what they've done now let's take who they've played and match it to Brock and tell me that Malakoff's had a better schedule because they haven't and in fact what what team on Malakoff's schedule is even close to a Pleasant Grove even a Pleasant Grove early in the year that was trying to figure things out offensively they still were athletically a great team a Wimberley who is still playing in the state champion you know playing for a state championship so I, I still go back to that preseason just 
tears Brock up so much that it allows their coaches to pull him to, to kind of tear him down and build him back up. And, and I'll contend that Brock's offense this year is heads and shoulders better than they were last year at this point. See, I, I disagree with you on that. I don't. I think really? they were better last year. This this year is more of you know a, a systemic thing, and I'm looking at what uh, Malikoff did and Malikoff's got almost everybody back. All the big names that were creating big points for them last year are back. You got Mike Jones, you got, you know, the, the 90 yard Chauncey hog play yes. that you talked about the, the late thing he's back, you know, whereas Brock is replacing everybody. Reed Watkins was the only one that was going to be back and he's at four with all saints uh, and church ball is over now. So there's not, none of that church going ball. on anymore. So you have all <laughs> of these components that had to be replaced. The, the key infrastructure, what Brock, is bringing back is their offensive and defensive line and Hunter Fay and, and some of that, some of those defensive linemen are absolutely amazing and they, they're able to put the pressure. But when you see them against good teams, look at the six games that you, you've kind of mentioned the four that they had in paradise twice, they've not scored more than 28 in any of those games. When they start playing good teams, that offense gets real constricted real quick. And at that point, you're, are you telling me that Malikov is not going to be able to put up at least 21 to 28 points. I, I don't think that I can't see Malikov not getting that 21 to 28 points, but we've seen consistently Brock in these games can't elevate themselves to get past that point. So that that's the part of that, but you're, you're right. I did say the, I gave the same exact speech last year because Brock is consistently having those mistakes. And at some point you got to play clean football. I trust Malikoff to play that clean football. Well, as far as the 28 points, I actually agree with that. I said it last night. I actually think this is one of those games that everybody thinks is going to be lower scoring, and it turns out it's not. Um, I, I will end with the Brock offense, and this is nothing against Tyler Moody. But when last year when they were you know wanting to actually throw the ball more and spread it out more, he, he struggled. Brody Woods struggled early, but Brody Woods has become – the quarterback that I think Brock thought they wanted or what they were wanting for the offense that they're doing now. I mean, you look at them last week and yeah, we can talk about the points, but I mean, they, they, they had such a balance. They ran for 151. They threw for 162. And, and I also want to point out this and this, I do have the, uh, the luxury of talking to the Brock head coach every week. And, and I'm not saying they went into the game last week and said, Hey, we're only scoring 21, but he also said that, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to score what we need to score. And, and that's, that's fine. We're not going to do what we've been doing. Like with Clyde and them, they just kept putting the pressure on him because he wanted to keep giving that offense more confidence and more confidence. But I do think that this is a higher scoring game uh, than what people say. And, and I do still think Malikoff wins. I, I just, I, and I agree with everything you said again, I just wanted to turn it around on you just because I, I do think some of the things you said uh, that you say on other games, you can kind of turn again, not against you, but you can kind of turn and use it uh, to argue that Brock might win this game. But I, I do think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be close, but I have them winning now in the other one. Look, I love what Edna's done. The Cowboys are fun. They're defensive. They have a really underrated quarterback in a, in a division that's just absolutely loaded with quarterbacks. Uh, and Jaden Clay, that's all well and good, but they don't match up well with Franklin. They didn't last year. And using your thing, it was 41 to 13, and I don't think in any way close Edna has gained 30 points on Franklin. I agree. I think, and, and the way that Franklin was able to overcome Lorena this past week, you know, I, 
the fact that their defense was able to step up, you know, Franklin's going to get their points and they did uh, get similar points in the first game and the second game, but the defense stepped up. So now I'm thinking of Edna and how are they going to try to uh, bridge that gap? They're not, I think Franklin's going to win pretty, pretty handedly. Yeah. And and I think that this, and this, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. It's who you play. Uh, And and I get that they never want to do a one to four because of the distance. But I contend that most region ones and most region fours, you just meet in Waco. You're probably going to be okay. Um, I I do wish that they would rotate the regions. Uh, And and the reason is, is, and even coach Fannin said this on the Franklin show. uh, He he totally understands that. Yeah. Edna's going to be physical and we're not trying to say they're not, but would you rather come out of the Edna game playing for a state championship or would you rather be Brock or Malakoff who are just about to basically take baseball bats to each other for 60 minutes or 48 minutes? I was thinking NFL, uh, you know, which game would you rather come out of? I think it benefits Edna to get region four. Absolutely. And, and you can see that statewide and it's kind of funny that almost every other sport has some sort of seating and rotation, but football. Yeah, I, I, I get it for the by districts. I totally get it for the by districts, but then you, as you've pointed out, we live in a world where some of the by districts was Lancaster driving, not to Houston, but to Port Arthur and, and playing them and, you know, on the road. I, I think you could do a reseeding in the second round. You don't have to do it every round, but at least in the second round, reseed it, have the top, you know, and, and play it like that. And, and just to see, I would just love for them to try that just to see how it went for a couple years. Yeah, or, or just like, you know, throw some what it would look like out there because that's how the UIL usually does it. You know, I, I've seen them throw up some mock-ups. This is what 7A would have looked yes. like if we were doing it. You know, so you know, throw it out there and, and see how it comes across. And and who knows? I, I mean, anything you can do to make the, the game better, I think, is is worth listening to. And, and I don't think, you know, I think when, when, when people hear trying something, all they think about was what? What if it fails? Well, if it fails, just don't do it again. I mean, we're, we're not saying we're not saying this has to be the the law for twenty years or anything. We're just saying, hey, for for one recent, you know, for one time through uh, of a uh, you know realignment cycle, two years. Let's try something new and let's see if it works. And if it doesn't, we can always go back to the tried and true, and everything will be okay. But you know, we're talking about a, f- a football in of itself is a fan base that doesn't like change. <laughs> you know, and, and bracketology, I mean, they, they do some different things and even in basketball, you know, as I'm, I'm kind of tuning into Plano East basketball and Plano East volleyball this year, because we're pretty good. I don't know if you know that Plano East basketball yep. is pretty good this year, you know, potentially state championship uh, caliber good. And given that Plano East has never won a state championship in any sport, whenever the, the warning light comes on that it might be, you know, it might be a chance. I'm definitely tuned in, but in the, you know, you, you have to play five games to win your region in 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 the other sports we have to win seven games to get there and usually five to eight you know districts one to four districts five to eight are playing four games before they play a crossover game in the regional yep. finals uh so you have these kind of situations where you could do some things you know and and the uil definitely has that flexibility so don't let people say they can't all right let's go to class 3a division two Um, I think the game that if you love football in general, but especially if you're a small ball fan, uh, Canadian versus Gunner, 
14 and 0 versus 14 and 0. Two machines. Everybody knew Gunner was a machine. Everybody kind of thought Canadian was going to be a machine with Cavalier at quarterback, his dad now the head coach. And then what they did to Bushland and the score, 55 to 33 or something like that. I was out there. I can't remember the actual score, but it, it just, that's when everybody realized, oh, yeah, Canadian's just going to be Canadian this year. And here we go. These two teams are meeting. And let's not forget last year. Canadian, I feel, probably feels that they should have won that game, losing 21 to 20. A couple of weird things happened defensively on a foggy night, a couple of bad calls and all that kind of fun stuff, or questionable calls. I don't want to say they're bad. Uh, but man, this is a battle of blue bloods. And it's funny, I'm tired of Duncanville North Shore because the game seems to play out the exact same way every game now, except for the, the first one in the Hail Mary. But Canadian Gunner, I want more of it because you never know what you're going to get when these two teams play. And again, I'm so frustrated that they're playing this game on Friday. Yep, I know. Think, you know, like give me, give me a Thursday version of this game. Uh, Cameron Cavalier has been absolutely fantastic for Canadian. But one thing I'm a little bit worried about if I'm a Canadian fan is kind of the one man band when it comes to uh, the offensive side of that. I mean, it's all him and that's a really good tune to play, but at some point Gunner just has a lot more weapons and a lot more, uh, choices that they can have out there uh, to, to score those points. And, uh, but kind of on the other side, Gunter got pushed more than I, uh, I expected them. And let's give Jacksboro some credit. I, I gave him up the flowers on uh, Twitter. I was incredibly impressed at what Jack uh, Jacksboro did. And now I, I coming into this game, I was for sure going to pick Gunner until that game. And it's not that, you know, Gunner didn't, you know, my, my my point on that, Jacksboro proved who they were, and yes. Jacksboro gets their flowers for that. But it also gives me pause that Gunter is mortal. All right, so two things. First off, and I don't know how many are coming back, but Gunner was absolutely ransacked with injuries last week. Um, one of them being their starting quarter, cornerback who will probably be All-State. He's supposed to be back this week. Also, I'm like you. I was there. I'm like you. Tip your hat to Jacksboro. Um but I'll tell you what it showed me was that you can be almost perfect offensively, but Gunner's going to match you score for score. And I don't know if there's anybody in, in 3A Division two or 3A Division one to be honest with you, that can truly match them score for score. And so even as great as Jacksboro looked for mainly a quarter and a half, it's you started the, the rows started coming off in the second quarter. They did have a touchdown late that kind of made it close at half. But from that moment on, Gunner's defense played different and all. And, and to me, that's the wake-up call you want if you're Gunner the week before Canadian and not the week of Canadian. Absolutely. And, you know, we even talked about it on our, our on the show last week that if Jacksboro's offense was good enough, could they get 70 against yeah. Gunner? Because that's what they were going to have to do. It was going to have to go score for score. And, and the Canadian, I don't know if it's going to get up to 70 level, but can Canadian match Gunner score for score? And at the end of the day with a one-man band, I don't think they can. And I actually, and I almost said this, uh, I should have last night. I actually kind of see it maybe playing out like the Jacksboro game. Not quite as offensive because Canadians, you know, Canadians defense isn't lights out, but they're good. Um, I, and I think, though, that you're going to see a first half where these two teams might be matching scores, matching scores, and then Canadian has that one drive and they don't, they don't score. 
and then Gunner scores, and now they're up two, two scores, and then Canadians. Okay, we've got to we got to start pushing, and we got to put the, and that's what happened to Jacksboro in the second half. Oh, we're down seven. Oh, now we're down fourteen. We've got to press, and once you start pressing against the Gunner defense, man, that is a team that, and this is why they beat Brock the way they did in Gunner. Gunner as a kid, as a kid team, as a teenagers, that team and that coaching staff, they smell blood in the water better than any team I've seen in, in a long time of covering this. It reminds me of like late 2000s Dangerfield, back when they were still winning state. And, and they could kind of be mucking around for a quarter and a half, but all of a sudden their opponent would make a mistake and Dangerfield would just be like, all right, good, thanks. You just gave us the game. I feel like Gunner can be that way too. Oh, they absolutely can. And and they have that chip on. I've only seen the chip on the shoulder twice this year of all the games I've been to. And I've been to 37. It was Gunder, a gunner against a Brock where they're basically like fight us, Brock. We want you and Brock back down. And then last week, South Lake Carroll and Byron Nelson, they did the same thing. They just jumped on Byron Nelson and they were like trying to kick a fight with Byron Nelson and Byron Nelson back down immediately after that. It's going to be fascinating. I know it's more five or six, a talk, but if DeSoto will give them that fight and I think Canadian will give them that fight, but will they give them that fight for 48 minutes? I, I got to stick with Gunner on this game. All right. And then the other game, which I think is a very underrated game is Dangerfield 11 and three versus Tidehaven 13 and 0. Uh, this game is Thursday, New Caney's Randall Reed Stadium, great stadium down there. Uh, you know, I, I think we both picked, I can't remember, if, I think we both picked Dangerfield last week against Newton, um, but I, I was, Newton. No, you picked so Newton, I, I, I couldn't yeah. remember. And, and going into the game, that was very much a 50-50 game. In fact, I do think people kind of thought Newton might have the advantage, partially because of the record and all, but, you know, again, Dangerfield, at times, Dangerfield just can can play with their food a little too much, just like they did with Harmony right at the end of the year, and losing 26 to 21 but man Dangerfield looked really good last week uh becoming only the second team I've ever seen just truly out physical Newton the other one being Wascom of a few years ago when they went down to Nacogdoches and you want to talk about hitting Newton in the face and Newton was like yeah we don't want anymore they weren't quite like that against Dangerfield but they weren't far off as the Tigers man uh that second half they just pulled away and they are just so talented they're just so fast but I contend Matt that Tidehaven has a running back in Joseph Dobbs that, Dodds that can give them trouble. And they're good enough defensively. They're not going to do what they've done all year and shut out Dangerfield. But I can see a, a path where Tidehaven pulls off the upset in this one. I absolutely can see that path as well. And Dangerfield has not played at their potential ceiling at every game this year. All you got to do is go back to the Harmony game, yep. and you can kind of see Dangerfield taking a little bit of a of a week off when it comes to that. So I, I'm a little bit skeptical on Dangerfield, but the fact that I think they're playing at the right level at the right time and their athleticism is is ridiculous. A Gunner Dangerfield uh, state championship is a win for the state of Texas. So that's where I'm going with that. Yeah, I I, I think I'm gonna hold. I, I think I think I picked Tidehaven in the upset last night, but again, I sometimes flip. And, and you know what? Let, let, let's just talk about that real quick, if it happens. Uh, the type of team that beats a team like Gunner or beats a team like Carthage or, or beats a Alito, any of those that when they pull that upset off, there's two types. There's the type like China Spring did that they were just way better than what we all realized, kind of because of the style they played, kind of because of the district and their schedule. And, and and so they were just better than we thought they were. And so they play cards and they played them well a few years ago. But then there's that other one that those kids have no idea who Gunner is. 
they're in East Texas. Dangerfield's all the way in Northeast Texas. They got to worry about their their local teams, and that's who they're worried about. And hey, great, we get the state. We'll play whoever plays them. And and, and I will say this: uh, if Gunner, if it comes to Gunner and Dangerfield, and they do what they did against Brock and say, hey, let's fight and throw a punch, you know, not a, a real punch, a proverbial football punch by being physical, and Dangerfield's in the right mood, Dangerfield's going to be like, let's eat. And I, if it's that game, I, I, I see you. I, I definitely can see Dangerfield winning it. It's going to be a fun game. And just and Dangerfield, I mean, we talk about, you know, the Blue Bloods and historical, you know, like if Plano got good again, you know, Plano has definitely been a, a team that has won state championships and has that pedigree and the fan base has that. Dangerfield is one of those teams. So they don't care about Gunner. I mean, it's not like, yeah, that, that's nice. We're, we're one of the best teams of all time. Yep. So good good on your state championships. We, we've got our pedigree and history too. So I think that's why that game would be much fun. Tidehaven versus gunner you're gonna have a team that's happy to be there yeah exactly and i but i do contend tight haven's way better than people are, are thinking all right let's go to class 2a to finish up the the small ball do you like the title by the way the small ball digsy show i kind of like it yeah i, I kind of do i, I kind of feel that maybe it's just because i hang around grant enough and he's got a dirty mind i i, I gotta kind of have a feeling we gotta go small ball uh parentheses we're talking about small towns not balls Princey's Digsy, but we'll, we'll talk about that in the all season. All right. Two, a division one. Uh, again, you'll talk about a matchup. It didn't have the same draw as Gunner Canadian because Stratford last year got upset in the second round. I think it was by Cisco, like 10 to seven or something. Uh, but Stratford 14 and oh, just laying waste to region one this year. Uh, of course, the Rattlers, Toller, 13-1, and one, pretty much laying waste to Region 2. I don't even really like to count that loss. I, I feel like if you play a private school, uh, you should be able – you should have the option to be able to keep the w- loss or not. You can just, you know, thir- be 12 or 13-0 tw- and 0 and just say in parentheses they lost to a private school. But anyway, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, state champion private school at that. So, I mean, it, that was yeah, a good pretty point. good, impressive uh, loss on their part. And you know, it wasn't close. But, you know, if, if Toller played, you know, Duncanville, they're probably not going to beat Duncanville either. Uh, you know what a big Toller mark I am. I love Toller. I love the Rattlers. I, I've got bits with them. But I came in, you know, and we talked about this last week, you know, I, I completely dismissed them having any competitiveness with Marlon as I was like, you know, that game was 71 to 13 last year. Yeah. Did Marlon get 58 points better? No, I'm, I'm going to take Marlon. I'm going to take uh, Toller by as much as they want. And then I watched that game and they're all of the, all of the things that I saw them when they played Crawford and Crawford finally shut them down. I saw them in this game. I, I saw that offensive line have a hard time getting, you know, the, the, the Marlon had a defensive guy just completely wreck uh, Toller's offense, offensive line. Just one player was able to consistently make plays and they eventually just ran away from him and was they were able to get a little uh, separation in the fourth quarter. And I, I, I see that Peyton Brown is just not what he is, what, what he needs to be right now. And when you can shut him down, I mean, he was having a hard time getting more than three to five yards in a majority of his runs. It, it just kind of got all, it got, it got a little bit sluggish and then, the second half they they figured it out and they and they and they got some points but it still wasn't this impressive victory that I'm looking to see going into it you got Stratford who just beat the defending state champions and beat the bricks off of them and I I just feel like this reminds me of what the Crawford game was last year when they faced a big physical defense they could not move the ball and their best player is not at 100% 
taking Stratford in this game. I will point out, you're not wrong, but Peyton Brown still had 119 yards. I mean, it, it, it yeah, he 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 didn't have as many as he has, you know, when he's 100% healthy uh, and even when he hasn't been. But I contend that Mar- that's partly because Marlin was better than last year, not 50 points and and they still, I mean it still was a 42 to 19 game. Uh, yeah, the 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 pull away happened in the second half, but it it, it happens still. Uh and, and so I I will contend some of that is simply Marlin has gotten better than they were last year, but I agree with you uh, you know, Toller was kind of the, you know, every year we have this where you just get one guy or one team and everybody's just like, that's kind of the golden team for the year. And, and Toller's lived that. And so far they've answered every, you know, every challenge, but this is definitely their toughest challenge. And and we go back to what you talk about, like danger field stuff. Stratford won state in 2021. Stratford is not in any way looking at the film going, oh no, it's Toller. They're just like, okay, that's cool. Who do we play to get to the next round? And I think that that's – I don't think people understand how big that is. When you get – when you don't have fear on the football field, it, it, can, it you become confident. And any coach will tell you they'll take a confident player that has half talent over a 100% talented player that has half confidence because when you're doubting your steps, that's when you get caught. I think this is going to be a great game. I'm going to stick with Toller in a close one. But, dude, I, I will say this. If there's a blowout in this game – I think that leans heavy to Stratford doing it to Toller. Yeah. And I, I wish I didn't see the Toller game against Crawford last year, because it's, you see this with every single game. We saw it with Albany against uh, Collinsville when, especially in the small schools, when one team is just a little bit better than another team, it can get ugly real quick. If you, if, if the matchups are there and just that team is just better across the board, you get these 46 to six state champion yeah. you know, regional final games uh, that you were excited about. And then all of a sudden you're just sitting there like, where did this come from? Like with Albany, you know, I, I know you're kind of warning me against it, uh, but Albany, what they did to Collinsville oh, yeah, last no, week, right. it's just like, what do you do? I mean, when it comes to that, and I just feel like Stratford has the formula to to do that to Toller because Toller is a little bit weak on the offensive lines. I think last year was their better better window, and Crawford, you know, just beat them up. And now you got you're you're in the deep water, and Toller's not been here. And I, as much as I love Toller, they haven't been here, and I'm a little bit worried about it. No, I so I'll to- be cheering for them. No, I totally agree with you. I think that's all valid. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, the game everybody was expecting: Timpson fourteen and zero versus Ganado twelve and two. Hey, congratulations to Ganado! They got that Refurio monkey off their back, just like so many other teams in that region. Refurio just consistently has beat up on Ganado for the last fifteen years. Uh, great win for them. I know the talk now is, you know, hey, now that they've done that. They have, you know, everything's great. They're, they can now, they're going to show that that's the, they're the better team now. I contend kind of like the Gilmore stuff. I think after seeing how they celebrated, it felt like you if you didn't, if you didn't know the story and you just say, watch them celebrate, I think a lot of people said, oh, they won state. Awesome. Because they, rightfully so, though, were very happy over that game. But I think this is still a matchup nightmare for them against Tipson. Yeah, I, I think Timson is a nightmare na- matchup for anybody. When you have the best player in the state 
or you know, the, the best player in the game. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call him the best player in the state. He's definitely one of the best players in the state, though. Uh, that's just a matchup nightmare you can't get over. And I think that Timson is going to win state, and I, I'm going to give them the favorite in this game as well. But Ganado coming back the way they beat Refurio, just overcoming that game after what was it week, week 10 week 11 when we got to see it the first time they, they should definitely be impressed for that but I, again i think we're in the happy to be here boat now one thing if jj garner who got hurt last week uh if he can't play that does level the playing field a little bit but i i, I don't know and it doesn't always happen you know i, I think one of the most famous is is the burnett teams back in the day when they had mcgee and shipley and you saw them as a sophomore, they went really far. You saw them as a junior, they went really far. And you're like, okay, they're winning their state that senior year, and it didn't happen. It's not always going to happen for the great ones, but if there's ever been a team and a player that it felt so right for, it's Terry Bussey and it's Timpson. I agree with you completely on that. And again, when I, who was that Whitesboro, uh, or not Whitesboro, but White Wright, good quarterback for a little while. Oh, and like, uh, he made that team so much better, ended up going to Texas. When you've got that best player on the field, again, when you're at these levels, what answer do you have for them? And they seem to step up in these times. Yeah, that, that's a great one. Tyrone Swoops. And, you know, and, they, and it's funny yeah, you say that because, you know, their, senior, their junior year, they went really far. And then whatever happened – after that, uh, that his his senior year, I know they had a tragic thing with a kid committed to not a player, I don't think, but a kid committed suicide in their locker room right before a game, and they had to cancel that. That was a weird senior year, and that sometimes happens to those teams that we all think are going to go good. For Timpson, they've had some off the field stuff, but they have done a really good job so far, at least, of you know of avoiding that and getting on. And I think Timpson wins. I do think it's close. I don't think it's a blowout. All right, let's finish it up with Division Two, and we've got Sunray twelve and two versus Albany 14 and 0. Um, I don't know what I was more shocked at Stratford destroying Holly or Sunray just absolutely bending Clarendon over a Clarendon team that had become the hot pick to win the region. And it looked like they were doing everything they needed to. And the Bobcats was like, nah, we're good. Amondo Luhan had a huge game. The offense rolled, but it's Albany. And at this point, I don't even think it's about the players for Albany. It's just Albany. They're that good. It, it's just Albany. I'm not going to pick against Albany again for at least a half a decade. Uh, you can just go ahead and write that down for me. Uh, Albany to win state in 2023. Yeah, I don't have a problem. And maybe 2024, too. Man, screw it. Throw on 25 and 26 just for fun. Um, Mark 14 and 0 versus Chilton 13 and 1. Uh, Belton's Crusader Stadium. That is such a a underrated spot for the smaller playoffs. More of them should happen there. Uh, these two teams are right down the road. We talked about that last week. Uh, you know, again, Mart Light Refurio, they've ended the season for a lot of teams consistently. And, and Chilton is one of those. They, they've been roadblocked by them a few times. I don't know why. Maybe it's not trusting in Mart, which is really weird because they the last Eight years, they either win state, go to the state semifinals and lose, or go to the state championship and lose. But something tells me that this might be Chilton's year this year. I would like to take that, but I think it's going to be one more one more game before we get that Mart loss. And you know, Mart, I always look at point. I, I, I one thing I love about you is because with what you do with sideline to sideline, you go out and watch the games. Mm -hmm. you, all, you all I can do is look at the stats and huddle videos and, and things like that. So to your point on that, Mart just hasn't quite had that 
pop that they've had in in the past. Exactly. You know, their, their their wins haven't been as vibrant. You know, uh, you know the, the stats haven't been quite there. And it, that's just numbers on the page. I get it. And, and and somebody else who has watched Smart every single week might go, well, it's because of this. It's because of that. They're rotating more players. Whatever the reason is, this does not seem like state championship level Mart, but it does seem like state championship game Mart. Uh, Chilton did take care of Fall City in a pretty big way this past week, uh, but I, I think Mart has just got too many athletes. So uh, children hasn't seen the athleticism of Mart, and I don't think they're going to have any answers for that. All right. To finish out, what do you think? On Sunday, 2A to 4A, on Sunday morning, what is going to be the biggest thing people are talking about? How right we were, Terry. I mean, we're, we're going to go. We're going to go sixteen and zero or twelve and zero in in our, in our picks. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be uh, that yet again that we're going to see the same old teams coming to state every single year. Uh, and, and and we did pick a couple of new teams, but at the end of the day, Mart, Albany, Gunter. You know, I mean, uh, Franklin. Is it going to be the teams we've seen? And I think that that's going to be what we take out of it. All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you as always. He will be part of the state championship stuff. Now, if you don't listen to any of the other shows and this is the only one you listen to, then I'm going to tell you now we're going to be doing all of our shows next week will be wrapped up into pregames. So there will not be a North Texas or small ball Digsy show or a sideline to sideline or a Brock coaches show or Franklin. If they win, uh, they will still happen, but they will be rolled into the preseason stuff. And the way I'm going to do it is the morning of, or the night before I will drop the audio versions of the pregame for anybody that wants to listen, you know, up to kickoff. You want to listen to after kickoff. That's perfectly fine too. And then we're doing these Super, uh, Super Bowl, these uh, state championship game watch parties where you can join me on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, all those, and, and we can talk while we watch the game. Now, I can't show the game or anything like that. I've already had people asking me that because we all know Bally's. It's really tough to get the games uh, anywhere unless you have DirecTV. Uh, I think it's Spectrum or one other one, or you actually buy the, the – uh, Bally's app for a month, which I tell you, honestly, just buy it for a month, watch the games, and then you can, you know, you can cancel it. But we will have a watch party where it's just me in there. We're going to have some coaches come on. Matt's going to come on. Intern Noe from Out Drink the Coverage, our pro and college show. He's going to join me on the Friday, the two 4A state championship games. Uh, and so we'll do the pregame video which will be exactly like the audio, just video. Those will go up as the pregames to the kickoffs to those games. So I just want to let you know uh, you're going to find the audio at s2ssport.com. You'll find the video on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter Live, all those on the morning and afternoons of the kickoffs for those respective games. Any questions, thoughts, or comments, email me, terry at s2ssport.com. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Granny's Bakery, Power Plus Mouth Guard. And thanks to Matt Diggs for making this season another fun one, just kind of talking football with him, picking his brain, because he has a different perspective. And I always believe, no matter if you're talking sports, life, movies, politics, whatever, you always need to get a different perspective. Get out of your own vacuum. Uh, get out of get, get out of the, your echo chamber. That's the big one people call. Get out of your echo chamber and just learn other things and figure out, you know, from there where you stand on stuff. And until next time, I'm Terry, and that was Matt. 
And this is Small Ball Digsy brought to you by Power Plus Mouth Guard and Granny's Bakery right here on S2S Sports, part of L4 Media.